Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com and the Pewter Report podcast. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We are starting off the new week with a bang because we just had so much fun talking to offensive coordinator Dave Canales that we're going to continue to talk about it. Dave's not on the show today, but we will reminisce about his comments, thoughts, and opinions from uh, last Thursday's show. So a lot to get into as we talk about this Buccaneers offense. I am very happy to be joined by two of my great colleagues at pewterreport.com, the face that runs the place of Pewter Report, who, who was part of that interview with Dave Canales, Scott Reynolds, and of course, our resident analytics guy, our contract guy, really does everything. He's our film guy as well. It is Josh Capo. Josh, great that you're joining the show with us today. How are both of you guys doing? Scott? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, that was one hell of an interview. We always kind of, honestly, we joke, but I mean, we always try to to uh, to say this was the best Peter Report podcast we've ever done. Uh, I'll say this about Dave Canales. That was the best interview we've, oh, we've yeah. done. Uh, it, and, and really, I thought JC and I had some good questions, but it was just the answers, guys. I mean, the, the level of candor and detail and, and willingness to be open and humility um, not just from a coordinator, but from any coach I have ever interviewed in, this is year 28 for me. It was, was, uh, astonishing. It just is. And, uh, we'll go through some of, of the clips, some of the highlights, right? I replay the whole show. Cause you guys can watch, we encourage you to watch it on our, our Peter report TV, YouTube channel, but, uh, certainly Matt and, and Josh, get your perspective on the interview, and we'll just go through some of the takeaways and kind of embellish some of the points and marry them with what we've been able to see out of practice and uh, and really provide you guys with some analysis on the Dave Canales interview. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I'm so excited to be here. You guys know, like we, we were talking in the text, uh, the chat today, and I got a little confused because I was going to be on next Monday, and I said, no, 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 I definitely want to be on today. Today's my wife's birthday, and I'm taking an hour out of celebrating <laughs> to make sure that I was on so we there could talk go. about happy Dave birthday, Canales. Jamie. Yeah. So, very happy birthday. <laughs> thank you very much. So I will pass that on to her. But that's how excited that that I am. You know, I got to watch the the uh, the interview with Canales, and it was just so fantastic, so candid, so um, detailed in his explanations of things. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say it's kind of a breath of fresh air for Buccaneers world. Yeah. Um, coming off of the last couple of years. And how about the ability of Dave Canales to battle through adversity and yeah. still put on a fantastic interview? Because we all know Wi-Fi can be a real issue at times, especially he's moving into a new house. So he yeah. was able to get on the show. The Wi-Fi broke, got back on, made adjustments, moved to his kitchen. Yeah. And I think that's a very telling sign. I do too, that man. Dave Canales is going to be cooking up plays this yep. uh, this season. With it's the, all about making the right adjustments, yeah. and he certainly did. He got to the right play. He he, he audibled a couple times, he did. different rooms, he did. He, and um, and gave us gave us we we went into overtime. We had thirty minutes. He gave us about forty. So super excited about that. We had a good time, and he's going to come back and join you two in uh, in training camp before the season starts for an update on how this quarterback battle is, and we'll get into that from what he said on Thursday's show, as well as uh, a whole litany of comments about a lot of players. And I think it's kind of telling, too, the, the the order in which he talked about some of the players and, on the offensive side of the ball and some of the guys he didn't mention either. So we'll get into that later today's show. 
Yeah, Josh, just curious to get your opinion. And we'll, we'll get to analytics uh, in a little bit, his answer there, which may have been his, his best overall answer. Um, it, it, and it's really nitpicking because every single one was great. But just curious if anything specifically really stood out to you when Canales was kind of giving his uh, answers to the line of questioning. Because I know I have a couple of things, but, uh, you know, we have so many different creative minds here at PeterReport.com. I'm curious where uh, your mind went with it. Yeah, my um, probably my favorite answer that he gave was, and I think, Scott, it was you who asked him about play action, right? Yeah. Does he have kind of a desired number of play action plays or a percentage of play action plays that he wants to get to right. over the course of a typical game or over the course of a season? And I really loved the way he answered that because he didn't give a straight, yeah, I'd like to get to 12 plays or I'd right. like to get to you know 170 over the course of a season. He really got into, this is what I'm hoping to accomplish with play action. And it was three to five big explosive plays per game. Right. right? And that's really what we're, what he's hoping to achieve. If he can get to three to five explosives and they can execute them well, he feels like that play action game is doing what it's supposed to be doing within the context of the entire offense. And I really appreciated how he went in again, the detail that he went into the thought process behind it, not play action for play action sake, which is something, you know, like myself, I talk about it a, a lot, you know, on our podcast and in, in my articles, they, I don't think any offense has ever really tested how much play action can you do before you start to see diminishing returns right. and to get that, that different perspective of it's not about the quantity. It's about this three to five quality plays that, um, that really shine through. And it allowed me to kind of go down the rabbit hole, you know, starting to look at some of the, the yeah. Seattle offense from last year. And it really married well with his answer. It wasn't just an answer for an answer's sake, but I could actually see it. I went and I think it was week mm -hmm. three last year against Atlanta. The Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you saw it, they had nine um, play action plays, but about three to four of them were the big shots and they connected yeah. on three of the four. And those were some of the biggest plays of that game. So it was really cool to kind of dissect his, his, his answer and his thought process right. and see it in action as well. And, and also Buccaneer fans and Peter people, we just dropped that article that uh, Josh wrote today. Mm -hmm in the chat so you can check that out and uh, what Josh is talking about he actually has some clips of that that Seahawks Falcons game that really kind of marries into what he just said and kind of illustrates some of those points and so make sure that you read that on pewterreport.com and what it's funny you you mentioned all that Josh because it it goes into what my thought process was and and one of my favorite things that Canales was talking about is that this offense it's he looks at it when he's facing the opponent when he's going up against the defense it's like a boxing match. And this yeah. goes into what a lot of people were con concerned about with this offense, with the, you know, the mesh routes, the shorter plays. What about the explosive plays? What about what made the off the Bucks offense so great over the past couple of years with the deep shots down the field? And we kept trying to take to tell people, and it's not out of ignorance or anything like that, because I, I understand the concerns, is they're going to have their moments. They're going to take yeah. advantage of we're going to slice and dice you. We're going to hit you with the body blow after body blow. And then wham, when you least expect it, when you start getting tired, that's when you take the shot down the field. So I absolutely loved how he made the uh, the simile of his offense like a prize fight. Maybe not like a Mike Tyson fight because Tyson would just knock you out in like 15 yeah, right. seconds. But he said, you know, a lot of times the matches 
would go deep into the round. And then how many haymakers do you really see? You right. only see three or four because if you get hit with one or two, you're absolutely done. It's like the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight. You know, you <laughs> only get a couple of those at the time. So I thought that was just a beautiful way of describing it of, you know, don't Bucks fans don't get deterred with the constant runs, the constant short passes, because there's a reason and there's a method to the madness yeah. for everything. When he talked about tiring out the defense, where even if it is a two yard gain and it's all the way to the right side, the defense from the other side of the field still has to hustle all the way over. If you want to make the tackle, right. because if you don't pursue they're going to break that tackle, and then it's going to be a 9-10 yard play, and your coach is going to be screaming at you. So you have to go, right. and that's just going to tire you out and tire you out. And I thought that was just a, a brilliant way of really explaining it all. No doubt. And and just just the way he even said it, I, I think to me that was that was the moment where I was started to get in some goosebumps and, yeah. and the hair standing up on my arms. Just just <laughs> the way he he presented that, right? Like he said in his his quote here, I'll read it. It's um, you know, it it's not haymaker after haymaker. It's like, you're on the card, you're on the card, you're on the card. You made a mistake. Boom. He goes to the ground. Did he get up? That's the feel of it. That's the why behind the tempo. That's the why behind the run game and being able to play to our strengths, keep our defense on the sidelines, let them rest. It's quick completion. Don't get tired. Throw that to the flat again, throw the flat again. The clock's ticking. The defense is sitting there. The runs slowly. Okay. They're starting to inch up. Somebody tell me, okay, we're ready. Then boom, you try to hit him that way. And, you know, what he's saying is, is when he says, somebody tell me, he's on the sidelines getting ready to call the play action shot. And he's got probably Brad Idzik up in the booth mm -hmm. as his eyes. And that's the role that Dave Canales played in Seattle. Yes. For those quarterback or for the, um, the coordinator, Shane Waldron, all that. He was the guy up in the up in the booth saying okay now's the time to call the shot right and so th that's that's the exciting thing about this th this this new offense and and the way he approaches it and the way he delivers the message and i think all the pewter people that watched the podcast last thursday i mean what you see is what you get this is this is dave canales all the time he's not putting on a show this is how he communicates in the field this is how he is in in the team meeting rooms and in the installs um in the press conferences he is all energy ready to go that's why i call him the human celsius if you want to check out that video we have it on our social media you can see it on twitter on instagram on our youtube channel as well i uh, will play a brief snippet of it here it's like a three minute video we won't play the whole thing but just want to give you a little bit of a taste of dave canales talking about his offense type of offense is multi-dimensional because it's not just vertical based that it has that horizontal element too that that really causes a lot of confusion for defenses yeah i think it's like you said eye candy a lot of that is just to slow down um linebacker and safety run fits mm-hmm so, you know, if you, if you line up under center and you say set hut, linebackers can just fly into their gap and fit yeah. it. But if you, if you put an extra guy in the backfield or you fly motion or you move a receiver, their gaps change right. with every body that changes. Yeah. Um, and so if they have just a slight element of hesitation before they fit a gap, it allows our combos to be that much cleaner. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then like, just like with, with the boot game, um, you know, I, t I tell my guys, like, if you have a guy open in the flat, just take it. He may yeah. get two yards, but guess what? All 11 on defense 
have to redirect from where they were, right? Chase flat to the other side of the field and try to, you know, try to make the tackle. If the guy gets eight or nine, you may have eight or nine guys chasing them down the field that far. Right. Do that a couple of times. And that's what we were uh, just talking about before. By the way, want to remind everybody, coming up in a couple of minutes at 420, we are going to have Roll Call, baby! What we love doing on Monday's show. Nobody really likes Mondays, but we try to make your Monday better with some Roll Call. We do this every Monday on the Peter Report podcast where uh, we want our fans to interact with us as much as we can. So at 420, uh, start putting in your location um, on the in the little comment section and we will put it up on the screen. So roll call coming up. Yeah. We got, we got Josh Capo going off on the rant today, which should be fun. <laughs> I think yes, it's about do. play action. And then, um, and then we're going to bolster Josh's comments about Dave Canales's comments about play action with Dave Canales himself. So it's going to mm-hmm. be, it's going to be fun. The one thing that stands out about that clip that, that I think is that there's so much logic, right. To what, to what Dave Canales does on offense. It's very well thought out. There's a strategy behind everything that he's doing, right? And I don't know if there was a lot of logic last year, and we'll just leave it at that. But but um, when, when it comes to Canales, though, just just the, the thought process behind, okay, uh, we're, 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 we're a horizontal offense that's going to stretch you from sideline to sideline with misdirection, with eye candy, with play action. Uh, we'll take some shots down the field. So it's horizontal and it's vertical. And with with the Bruce Arians offense doing so much work between the the numbers in in the middle of the field, right? This is going to be more horizontal based where it's going to be a lot of rollouts, a lot of boots, waggles, and, and dumping stuff off, uh, some screen action outside the numbers. And, and when you use uh, th- from the hash marks to the sidelines more like they're going to this year, as opposed to last year, those defensive players have got to run further. They got to, they got to cover more ground. So they're not just trying to make a tackle right smack in the middle of the field. You're going to have guys that are on, you know, the boundary side running all the way across the field, trying to make a tackle. And, and in that Florida heat, those reps add up. And I think you're going to see more attrition, hopefully, by the Bucks opponents' defenses. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to leverage, right? They use the horizontal to create favorable uh, leverage yeah. on the against the defense defensive players, and that can help lead to more yards after catch. It can help lead to those explosive plays. Both of you have kind of been alluding to. Um, last year, the Seahawks were tied for eleventh in the NFL in explosive passing plays, which is uh, passing um, defined by uh, the website that I was using, but at 25 yards or more. A lot of times it's 20 yards or more, but this one is 25 yards or more. Um, Compare that to the Bucks last year, they were 25th. So huge jump off there, right? Um, Are you trying to tell me those wide receiver screens to Chris Godwin were not explosive, Josh? Is that what you're trying to say? The first one of the year was. It was. Yeah, that was a hell of a play. (laughs) It went downhill. Yeah. Yeah. It went downhill from there. Yeah. So, um, but I I, I love, you know, just getting to watch this offense. It's so much fun. Um, You know, this is a a Shanahan McVay style offense, which Mm -hmm. has swept the NFL. And there are very few teams that are employing it ineffectively. Yeah. That's the really cool thing about it. And I th- also think it's it's worth noting that that this Shanahan style offense and, and McVay style has given the Buccaneers fits over the recent years, right? The yeah. Rams had 
with the exception of this year's Rams team, which was banged up depleted. big time, depleted. Right. Yeah. Good point, Matt. Um, they they had beaten the Buccaneers soundly, right, in the regular season. Of course, the playoff loss in 2021, that was a heartbreaker. And then the 49ers just destroyed the Buccaneers defense this year. So this is a defense uh, in Todd Bowles' scheme that is pretty good against most teams. But this style of defense has given even one of the league's better defenses, Tampa Bay's, some fits. So that's encouraging right there. Yep. Yeah, and at least um... – it is crazy, like, as much as Todd Bowles has had his way with a number of teams, or even if, like, for example, you said that the Rams have gotten to Todd Bowles multiple times with the exception of last year. I think Todd in the past, like, has been able to get his revenge on teams. I, I think most uh, importantly was the Chiefs in 2020 yeah. when they, you know, <laughs> when they torched them in the regular season. But then, obviously, the Bucks got the last laugh with Todd Bowles' defense not allowing a touchdown um, right. in the Super Bowl. But, yeah, the uh, – that style of offense, McVay and Shanahan, has been the one thing that Todd Bowles has just not been able to crack just yet, which makes all of these practices that much more exciting when the yeah. Bucs will, um, you know, kind of do good on good, 11 on 11, without right. having a script, which was one of the big things that uh, was was really a main focal point of the uh, Canales ran offense during mandatory minicamp because he's yeah. trying to get his reps as much as possible, too. Well, yeah, there's, it, it, we're, the Bucks are getting more reps. The, the, the tempo is picked up in terms of, of the number of practice reps. That's that's going to be mimicking what you're going to see on Sundays because the Bucks are going to be more up-tempo with Dave Canales. And, and Matt, I, I borrowed one of your terms uh, when we had Canales on Thursday. Um, <laughs> I, I called him the human Celsius. And you know that's the term he actually kind of agreed with because he admitted to drinking Celsius, especially during his move. He's a Celsius man. That makes us happy at Pewter Report. Why? Because Celsius is the official energy drink of Pewter Report. That's the brand new Oasis vibe. It's now available everywhere. I just grabbed a couple cans at my local 7-Eleven. It was exclusively uh, debuted at Target, but now it's available everywhere. And uh, that's one of the newer flavors. The sparkling lemon lime is also uh, sensational, as is the, the orange right there. And don't forget about the vibes, the tropical vibe, Arctic vibe, and peach vibes. Folks, if you have yet to try Celsius, do what we told Dave Canales to do. We said, hey, Dave, you just moved into a new house. Go to Amazon, buy them in bulk, and and you know get the subscri subscribe and save option. Ship them right to your house, which is great. You can save some money. But if you are you know new to Celsius and you want to try some flavors first, go to Celsius.com. Click on the store locator, type in your address, and you'll find all of the health and fitness stores, grocery stores, convenience stores, and... Your bodega. Bodegas. And grab a can of Celsius today. Celsius, essential energy with no sugar. That means no sugar crash, and you get all of the energy you need. Pewter people, it's uh, the official energy drink of Pewter Report. And, and it is that time. That is 420. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Putting in the comments where you're watching from, just like Charles Scott did here with uh, Iowa, Bettendorf, Iowa, because we love all of our fans, the Peter people, and we want to interact with everybody as much as we possible, possibly can. So start putting in your location where you're watching the show from. In the meantime, Josh Capo, uh, you recently wrote a fantastic story about said interview with Dave Canals and more specifically the analytics side of things, what he's going to bring to this offense. So uh, without further ado, please uh, give us a, an audio article on the podcast. Yeah, so um, 
It was, again, I think most things about that, that interview were refreshing. And we know that the previous offensive coordinator was not a big fan of analytics. And, and that kind of permeated throughout the entire building because Canales even mentioned the Bucks don't have an analytics department, at least not currently. That doesn't mean that they don't use analytics. And he specifically talked about it when he gets the cut-ups, uh, the tape cut-ups or the scouting reports. The people who are submitting those are adding analytics to those reports or to those tape cut-ups, and he's using them. And I think he said something to the effect, if you're not using analytics in 2023, like you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? And while he didn't like cite probably my favorite statistic, which is expected points added EPA. He talked about how analytics can help him figure out on a game to game or week to week basis, how to attack the opposing defense the most efficient way. And I, I, re I thought it was really cool the way he described it. He said, analytics really does a great job of highlighting the outliers, right? Yep. So it, he said, you know, like the 80% in the middle you know, that stuff you're probably going to have to dig a little bit deep into. But analytics does a great job right off the top of highlighting the 10% on the fringes. This 10% shows that th this team does a great job. I think he said a great job of defending the run against shotgun with 11 personnel, right? Yep. So when the offense comes out in shotgun with three wide receivers, the opposing defense does a great job of shutting down run plays from that. So right. you know what, guys? We're not going to run from shotgun and 11 yeah. personnel. <laughs> You, you compare that to other offenses that Bucks fans have seen where it's like, this is our offense. I mean, it kind of goes back to Vince Lombardi who said, you know, I got three plays and if I run them the right way, there's nothing you can do. Well, in this day and age, if you've got three plays or if you've got one offense that you run no matter what, there are going to be defenses that can stop you. Yep. And Canales talked about how anal he uses analytics to adjust his offense from week to week. Right. to put his players in wow, the best position to succeed. Right. I know. And yeah, uh, it's exciting and, stuff. And I think JC even brought it up. I uh, was something Rashad white had said to us previously or, or set out on the field mm -hmm. uh, during yes. um, OTAs in terms of like Mike Evans said, mm -hmm. I haven't been this open in forever. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's using those things to figure out how do I put my guys in the best position to succeed rather than just asking them to go win every single time. Yeah, you can well, marry the two. And you don't have to win athletically. You can win by scheme, right? And, and, uh, and you know, I, I still think there, there's a gut feel to play calling, right? Because you have to factor in things that, that don't sure. show up on, on an analytic sheet, right? The weather, right? Uh, momentum, injuries, those types of things. You have to make those in-game adjustments. And some of that is by, uh, is, is by, by gut, right? But at the same time, uh, there, there is so much that you can and should do and also don't do, right? Like, for example, um, Todd Bowles probably was not wise to blitz the best quarterback against the blitz, <laughs> which was at the time Matthew Stafford. I'm talking about that infamous 2021 all-out blitz in the waning well, moments it's a good, of, yeah, of, it's a good of the, thing he of didn't the do loss it in, to the Rams. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't do it in like a, a crucial – uh, point in the season. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. He with saved momentum. To, yeah, with he momentum saved on the their side. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, but but it, that's the importance of analytics. It, it says you really should do this if you're smart. You'll you'll attack the defense this way, and and then if you, um, you know, if you're dumb, you'll you'll do stuff that this, you know, that this defense uh, will just carve you up at right. And and so 
that that gray area in the middle is where you have, like you said, you have to kind of dig deep into the film and really kind of look at some matchups. But it's a great place to start. And and I don't think that Byron Left, which started or ended or had anything to do with analytics, I really don't. He called it fantasy football, which honestly was insulting. And it was insulting to analytics. It was insulting to people who devote their lives to analytics. It was insulting to the amazing reporter from Pewter Reporter who asked him the question. It was yeah. ridiculous. JC Allen was just asking about it yeah. and he gets the fantasy football reply. Well, let's let's Matt, let's hear from from Dave uh, Canales. I was gonna say if you want analytics. if you want more about Dave Canales and analytics, don't do anything. We're gonna play it for you right now. Analytics. Yeah. Analytics big. So um if you're not using advanced stats and analytics, you're missing it. And we have some great stuff from our video department. Mm -hmm. Um, and from, we don't have an analytics department, but we have groups of people in scouting and groups of people in video that provide us with these stats that we know what we're looking for. So we ask Mm -hmm. for, they come with the cut up, they come with video that you can see this evidence, but what it does, same thing with the combine, it allows you to cover the outliers really quickly. Mm -hmm. So it shows you. This is really good. This is really bad. Yeah. The part in the middle is where it doesn't help you as much because that's the part that's like, hey, these are all about average numbers. You got to dig in, watch the film, decide what's best, decide Mm -hmm. what to do and what to stay away from. But it's those outliers of say, for example, let's just say 11 personnel shotgun runs are averaging 1.6 yards per carry against this defense. Right. Hey, guys. We're not Stay running away 11 yeah. personnel shotgun <laughs> runs this week. Right. <laughs> 12 personnel play action is averaging 14.2 yards per play. Okay, guys. Yeah. Hey, we're going to have 12 personnel play actions. You know, like <laughs> right. there's some things that you can like, Yeah. you can go right to that analytics helps you. It's the same thing with, with the uh, scouting evaluation process. Yeah. They allow you to see like these metrics make these guys fall into a category of, oh yeah, these players have been successful or these players have historically not been successful unless you're looking for the diamond in the rough. Right. You know, and you just have a great feel for this receiver who runs four seven. He's yeah. gonna be a player. Well then you better know that. You know, now you got to really do the homework and see, but at least it gives you like a starting point. Right. And that goes hand in hand with scheming guys each week and each out for different opponents. You study your opponent, yeah. you, and then you can scheme these guys a certain way, and that data goes hand-in-hand hand with, with um, you know, assembling your, your playbook and your play sheet for the week. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Areas of the field, quarter, hash sometimes yeah. matters um, for, the play, for the defensive play caller. Yeah. Clock running, clock stop, um, tempo, right? What does he do in tempo? What is he doing tempo in this personnel? How about this one? How about this one? Right. Um, so tempo's gonna be a uh, good stuff. Tempo's gonna be a big thing this year for the offense, isn't it, Josh? It is, you know, a, a tempo play, all of these things that the Bucks actually ran really well last year when they chose to run it, right? Right. The Bucks, yeah. Tom Tom Brady was one of the best play action quarterbacks in the NFL. He just didn't do it enough. The Bucks were great when they ran tempo. It was like the only time the offense actually worked. So all of these things that Canales is bringing in, and he talked about it a little bit, and this is the really cool thing. It's, he's not just bringing some, some um, system plug and play, 
right? He talked a lot about what do our guys do best? Yeah. And now how do we make sure they do that more? Right. I think he got into it with you guys. He talked about like getting Mike Evans and Chris Godwin the ball. Now, Byron Leftwich for all of his faults, he got those two the ball a lot last year. They yeah. were two of the top 15 receivers and targets last year. But Canales looked at, you know, how do we get them the ball? Scott, you mentioned, you know, red zone, end zone. How do you get the ball into Mike Evans' hand? Because when he's targeted a lot near the end zone, he tends to come down with, what yeah. are they called? Touchdowns. Touchdowns, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, Touchdowns are a good thing, I think. So I, the I Bucks should have more so. of them, hopefully. Exactly. So um, marrying all of that. And I think one of the other things, that we didn't get to it right there on that clip, but he also talked about like pro football focus, right? Yeah. yeah He's a he big, did. big fan of PFF. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not out here shilling for them because they pay me or anything like that. But I get into it with people who sit there and trash them. And, and I said, I go, you know, show me something better that's publicly available that gives you not just how did the player do for 12 plays out of a 17 game season? How did they do for every play they played yeah. and give me some type of metric and Scott, you and I were texting about it earlier today. There are some positions that I don't think PFF does a wonderful job of grading players. Right. Still think it's probably the best thing out there because yeah. there aren't a lot of alternatives. And something's better than nothing, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it gives you a, a jumping off point. But right. there are some positions where I think they're pretty damn near close to on the money in terms of how they grade out players. And, and Canales yeah. kind of backed it up. And the cool thing he said is, it, you know, PFF, they work with PFF. And PFF right. told him, your imagination is our only limit. You yeah. want us to measure these things? We can measure these things. Right. And I've gotten a little bit into our data and looking at analytics and he's right. You can look at, you know, no huddle. You can, mm -hmm. you can filter for no huddle. You can filter for play action. You can filter for shotgun. You can filter by quarter, by what side of the field they're on. All of those filters right. are available where you can really break it down and say, how do we put our position, our offense in the best position to succeed in these situations? It's really kind of scary how much you can break down once you start getting into it yeah and you know sometimes it, we, we we kind of drill it down a little too much man i think we sit there and say we're looking at these specific matchups or what does this defense do against this mm -hmm. 11 personnel or 13 personnel whatever but there's also spots on the field right where mm -hmm. where like the the, the deep is, the, yeah. yeah the deep left quadrant might might be getting uh targeted big time that's where the big plays are against this defense and it may not be a specific player, but it might be a breakdown in communication constantly between the safety and the cornerback on that side of the, of the ball, right? Where uh, this safety will bite up a little bit. This corner thinks he has help over the top. That's happened a couple times this year, right? Yeah. And that's why those big plays happen. So th there's a lot you can do with it, even break down where to attack a defense. Right. It, it's almost like, so the old school way was you're playing against a defense, a cornerback gets hurt. Right. The new guy comes in and you immediately target that guy. And, yeah. you know, Troy Aikman goes, oh, well, the new guy was in the game. They're throwing yeah. it at him. Yeah. This is like the new school version of it. It's like, <laughs> hey, this team is bad at, at covering the back left quadrant. It's right. not just that. Or the back right quadrant. And this is where you got to go to uh, attack it to be successful in this league. And that's exactly what, you know, Canals is trying to implement for this season. I was curious what you guys felt about when he said that the Bucs don't have uh, an analytics department. Because I feel like every organization probably should at this point. You know what? I, I'll just say this. I, I, I like the fact that they don't need an analytics department, that the coaches are smart enough to ask for the clips and yeah. they, they can figure it out. Because to me, 
Um, I, I'm not opposed to having a guy or, or gal or, or a team of analytics people doing this. But at the end of the day, the, the coaches, they get paid to break down the film. And if, um, if they know what to, to look for and ask for from the film department, uh, and, and you are well versed in analytics. Like it sounds, Dave. It sounds like Dave Canales and certainly, you know, Brad Idzik and I'm, I'm guessing Skip Pete and and some of these other coaches. Um, you know, sometimes a lot of times when, when you're you're in a room with the coaches and you're breaking down film as a unit, the entire offensive staff, um, you're gonna get you're gonna learn through osmosis. You, you're you're gonna learn by li- listening to your offensive coordinator say this, that, and the other thing, and then you're gonna be able to pick up some things from the film yourself from an analytic standpoint and break it down. But what are your thoughts, Josh? So I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. I think that, so not every, um, not every NFL team currently has an analytics department, although that is constantly updating each year, each year, uh, new teams join the club. And I, I see this very much like the revolution in baseball back in the early two thousands when analytics became a big part, starting with the, the Oakland A's. Moneyball. Uh, Moneyball, yeah. Yeah, basically yeah. Moneyball. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'll go back to, and I'll paraphrase this, but Rand Carthen, who's the new general manager for the Tennessee Titans, came over, I want to say, from San Francisco. He was in uh, their player uh, development or player personnel department. Yeah. And he talked about how somebody from their analytics department came to him and said, based on our numbers, there's this running back coming out of college you need to check out. All right. So they went and they, they cross-checked it, and that's when they brought in the tape, right? And they started looking at him, and they're like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, yes, for the wide zone offense that, that Kyle Shanahan loves to run, yeah. absolutely, this guy could be incredible for us. So they ended up taking him over a linebacker they had uh, originally planned to take in the fifth round. And, and, again, I can't remember the, the, the running back's name off the top of my head, but end, he ended up being an amazing pick for them. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. The coaches have to have, be versed in analytics, and ultimately the tape needs to be the final decision maker. But yeah. we all know NFL coaches have limited bandwidths and limited amount right. of time. It's not and bad to have a fresh set of eyes on it either. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where an analytics department can very much come in handy as kind of a screening process. Yeah. And I'll liken it to Scott, you talked to Bruce Arians, right? About right. when he goes to um, look at draft prospects, right? right? He has his own screening process, which yeah. is, you know, he takes a look at the highlight plays. He takes yeah. a look at their high end plays and says, does this look like an NFL player? Right. And that's an immediate screen. If the answer is no, he moves on. Yeah. Analytics can be that kind of screening process. Not we only look at the analytics and that's all we go with, but it's a great way to say, all right, let's take a look at these player, this pool of players. Right. And there's something about them that we need to look more into. And absolutely, I think the Bucks need to join the, the growing list of teams that have analytics departments. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, you know, Matt, when um you know when you and I are out there watching the OTAs and and the mini camps, the one thing that really stood out was we kind of, you know, picked it up early on. We're like, wow, they're jumping right into 11 on 11, right? There's no, there's no waiting for the second hour of practice. And, you know, after, you know, an hour of individuals and special teams and calisthenics and stuff, they, they do calisthenics, indies, boom. And like into like a 20 minute (laughs) 11 on 11 period. And, and then we learned at Peter report and we've, we've kind of, brought the answer out of Cal Trask and Baker Mayfield about these call it periods and how Dave Canales uh, really wanted these call it periods. And, and really Todd Bowles, it was, was the one who 
who kind of uh, instigated that. And and I think it's great coaching, behind the scenes coaching on on Todd Bowles' part to say, hey, I'm taking a chance on you. We're in this together, right? You're not a, a proven play caller by any means. You haven't called any plays at the college or pro level. Let's do some call it periods all throughout the spring. And we found out a Peter report it's going to continue into training camp. They're going to have some scripted sessions, but these call it periods, which are uh, the offense and defensive coaches don't get together and they don't say, hey, we need to work on defending the slant, Dave. So can you run slant passes during this period of practice so our, D- our DBs and linebackers can can get good at defending the slant? They'll do some of that stuff. But this is live call-up periods, right, Matt, where it's Todd and Dave don't know what's coming. Yeah, exactly. And I think Dave said it best where he was like, yeah, this was Coach Bowles' idea. And Coach Bowles knows because, you know, at one point he was a first-time defensive coordinator. Now he's got to help his offensive coordinator. And it was just great for Canales to be so forthcoming about it where he said, I needed that. But more importantly, what I found most interesting where he was like, yeah, I almost knew right away like what worked for me, what didn't, what what I have to work on. He said specifically, like, you're so focused on making sure you get like he, because let me backtrack a little bit. Because when he was in Seattle and he was just like the eye in the sky and everything like that, yeah. he was the one feeding it down to the offensive coordinator, being like, "Hey, you got 55 seconds. You got one more timeout. You can call a timeout after this play if it doesn't go right. You know, if it doesn't, if the ball doesn't get out of bounds." Now he's so focused on like calling the next play, making sure this is set up, that is set up. He said like I didn't even have enough time in my own mind to be like, "Oh." The defense is running this. We could hit Chris Godwin on this type right. of specific play. And I found that so interesting that he's learning so much about himself already in mandatory yes. minicamp that if you just keep this process going, there's nothing like the live reps. And yeah. unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about it until you get into that game situation that it, you can at least prepare as much as you possibly can, which will make training camp a ton of fun, which will make the preseason a ton of fun because right. we're obviously learning about Kyle Trask and, and Baker Mayfield, which we could talk about next. We're also learning about how Dave Canales is going to deal with certain situations. And I thought the coolest thing he said about why he's going to be on the sideline this year is specifically working with the quarterbacks, just seeing how these guys deal with high stress situations, right? Where things aren't going their way because that is something that really none of us know specifically with Kyle Trask. That's right. We've seen it to a degree with Baker Mayfield, but we haven't seen it with this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team with Baker right. Mayfield at quarterback. So uh, it was all very compelling just to, to hear him answer it. Yeah, it, it really is. And and the, the thing, too, is, is when it comes to those call-it periods, um, it, right, It it's, it's one of those things where I've always heard, if you're on a game show and you've got 20 seconds to answer, it feels yeah. like it's 10 seconds, right? Whereas you're at home and you're you're spitting out the answer on your couch, right? Come right. on, it's this, right? <laughs> and, and the guy's just trying to like grasp that because uh, it feels like time is speeding up. And so I think that it's going to allow Dave Canales's play calling to slow down a little bit. And I think this is this is going to be a great training ground for him. And of course, the preseason games will be huge. But there are some of those X factor things again. I'm not going analytics, but but confidence is something, right? Like yeah. in game confidence is is not something that, that's measurable. It's something that you as a human being, you gotta you gotta see how's my quarterback how how is he reacting to getting smashed into the ground on that sack, right? And do we need to call a run play here for a couple of plays to get his arm working again, right? Because he got his, his arm driven into the ground. So there's things like that that I think Canales is really gonna 
going to have that accelerated learning curve, uh, um, you know, built in for him by Todd Bowles' propensity to have these call-up periods. Yep. The other thing that I really liked, and it came through in the entire interview, is, and I'll hearken this back to uh, former Tampa Bay Rays uh, manager Joe Madden. He used to talk about when somebody first got up to the big leagues, right? There's kind of like three phases that they go through. The first phase is I'm here, right? And they're, yeah. they're wide-eyed, they're bushy-tailed, you know, the the whole experience kind of envelops them and, and overwhelms them. And eventually they move into phase two, which is I belong here. And right. that's when you really start th to see them kind of get comfortable and, and really um, work themselves into what they can do. And then the third phase is, you know, I, I'm confident in my role now. Right. Right. And it's so amazing when you look at Canales and he talks about his play calling. He talks about how he wants the offense. He talks about how he wants his position coaches to yeah. place um, uh, the throwing net. Exactly. The throwing net and cones and things like that. And what he wants them to be able to see with their position groups so that he's hopeful that in the near future, he's going to be able to take a step back and then become even more of that executive chef, if you will, yeah. right? Being able to oversee his, his coaches. Right. That is not something I would expect of a guy who's three months into the job and hasn't gone through a training camp in that position. It, he's got a real, like a high level map of how he wants his position to go, how he wants yes. his, his position coaches to um, work and to act and to observe as well as the players, as well as the play call designs, all of it. He's got a really firm handle of just the entire offense. It's not something I would expect from somebody to, to the point that you made, Scott, he hasn't called a play above like peewee football. Well, technically high school, he, high school. That's he, right. School. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's still absolutely amazing that um, just, the overall confidence that he has in the position and, and the, the plan that he has um, that he's hoping that he'll be able to execute well. Yeah, totally agree. Um, now, everybody wants to know about the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't put Dave on the spot because I knew what the answer was going to be. Like, who's the leader in the clubhouse? We know who the leader of the clubhouse is. It's Baker Mayfield, right? He has the experience, and this is not going to be decided anytime soon. And we, we even saw proof out there, Matt, at those – open practices and all of, of the, yeah. the minicamp practices, Baker, Kyle Baker. That was the order. It wasn't 50, 50. It was Baker, Kyle Baker, Baker, Kyle Baker. That was the order. So Baker has a little bit of an edge right now, but Dave Canales really did a great job of breaking down the strengths and weaknesses of both of the quarterbacks. And also kind of talked about what it's going to take for whoever one of those guys is to win the job. Yeah, no question about it. Obviously, the turnovers was the uh, the big topic of interest, obviously, for who's going to win that job. I was almost more interested in what he had to say about the weaknesses of the quarterbacks yeah. than, the, uh, than the strengths of the QBs. Because, you know, players and coaches will get asked that, and what they'll do is they'll pretty much just, like, answer the – uh, the strengths part of it, and then just right. kind of ignore the weakness part of it, and then the press conference moves on or the interview moves on. But, you know, the fact that he said, yeah, Baker still needs to, you know, to work on his his footwork a little bit and, and yeah. certain timings on throws I thought was super interesting. And, you know, for Trask, it's, again, just kind of like getting more experience more than anything else. And 
hey, the lean mean stuff is paying off for Kyle Trask because one of the main yeah. t- compliments that uh, that Canals gave to him was, hey, he's doing the uh, you know the, the play action, the QB waggles, the scrambles way better than I even imagined. So uh, you know, both quarterbacks putting in the work. Baker clearly does have the advantage, but there's a very long way to go uh, before a decision is made. But yeah, it, it does seem like it's it's very much it's going to be Baker or uh, Bucks might be in a little bit of an issue. Yeah, we'll we'll listen to what Dave Canales had to say about the quarterbacks in depth and and the turnovers right now. It, it's all going to come down to who doesn't turn the ball over more, right? That's it. I mean, it, it really is. They, like, and and that's why Kyle, despite his lack of experience. He has a chance in this, right? If Baker, right. if Baker starts throwing picks in training camp in the preseason, and Kyle is moving this team and putting points on the board, and he's staying away from turnovers, like that's that's the ticket to the job, right? Is whoever doesn't turn yeah. the ball over the most, right? And, and I mean, so that's one way of looking at it. And then the <laughs> other way, the other way of looking at it is this: these guys both play absolutely lights out they play out of their mind we're talking like 80 percent completion in training camp preseason and they're just ripping it and And neither one of them turns it over right and none of them turn it over and who has the most explosive plays yeah so that guy will get the job whoever throws the most touchdowns that guy gets the job right but no no you're absolutely right i just i i just but it's it's because um not that russell was ever competing for his job but like when Gino was playing behind him, Gino was in the high 70s, 80s, completing mm-hmm. the ball, and he was throwing the ball down the field, and Russ would have slight edge because he'd throw a few more touchdowns. And it right. was like, here's two guys playing ball the right way. Yeah. One guy knows these players, the starters, a little bit better. He's getting a few more touchdowns. And it's like, that's my highest hope, is yeah. I can create two guys who are playing their butts off Right. And somebody is just just took took the keys and said, I'm driving the car. Yeah. You know. God, that gave me a uh, a flashback to it was like right after Baker signed. So we're talking mm-hmm. about like late March, maybe early April when we right. had this conversation on a Peter Report podcast. And we were talking about like the winner of the job, like one player is going to play well and one player is going to play poorly. And then you said something like, well, what if they just both play great, and this yeah. is going to be a, a difficult, um, a difficult decision for the coaches, and that's kind of what Dave Canales right. said, or at least that he's hoping for. So he must have been watching that episode, or at least uh, you know, you guys are very much thinking alike in that sense. That yeah, you could have two winners, and then just one guy is a little bit better. Well, and, and Josh, I mean, that, that, that's that's kind of the thing, right? Everybody assumes, and, and I I I assumed it myself. That's why I phrased the question the way I did. That one of these guys is going to rise to the occasion, the other one's not, right? And and there's one of the four outcomes is going to come true. Either they're both going to stink, one's you know Baker's yes. going to be good, Kyle's not going to be good, or Kyle's going to be good, Baker's not going to be good, or as Dave is saying, they both might be good. Yeah, I, and and I'm glad that he was able to give a little extra um, context to that because I remember uh, one of his first two press conferences when he originally talked about, well, it's whoever's not going to turn the ball over, and. I, I just got flashbacks in like the mid 2000s, Chad Pennington throwing for the Dolphins. I'm like, well, he never turned the ball over, but he couldn't throw the ball more than five yards. And well, that, that was Randy Moss's. Like... That was Randy Moss's fault. Hold on, because he was throwing to him and Marshall, and he tore his rotator cuff a bunch of times because he had to keep throwing the deep ball to Randy Moss. So I'm going to defend my guy, Chad Pennington. 
first round pick of the New York well, Jets. I thought I thought he was you know fine with the Jets. I was talking about his Dolphins days. Yeah, but, I know, I know. But um, but but it just that was the thing that just haunted me. You know, you don't want somebody who's so afraid to turn the ball over that they never take those shots. You know, we talked earlier in the uh, earlier today today on you know in terms of Seattle was eleventh in explosive pass plays. So I know for me, if I'm looking at it and you've got one guy who threw one extra interception, but threw five extra explosive plays, yeah, I'll take the interception, right? right? And I'm glad that Dave was able to give that extra context and say, well, all right, if they're playing similarly in terms of the don't turn the ball over game, let's take a look at who's pushing the offense down the field, who's getting those explosive plays. And I think that that is a huge deciding factor, you know, um, PFF charts, big time throws. And mm-hmm. you, you look at the, the quarterbacks that typically have the most big time throws are typically the ones that grade out the best overall, because those plays, those big time throws, they're typically leading to, we talked about it earlier with Mike Evans, uh, that thing that he can sometimes get when touchdowns. he gets the ball touchdowns, they yeah. lead to touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we kind of wrapped up the show with a little bit was was getting his his take on some of the the offensive players. And um, I I expected him to name two or three like sleepers to kind of watch in training camp. And he basically went down. These are the running backs. These are the receivers, the tight ends. But the interesting thing, one, one of the like the little tidbits I've kind of been able to glean in my almost three decades covering this team and, and being a sports reporter is is the top of mind aspect. Now I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm 50. God, how old am I? 51. See, I'm, I'm old. I'm forgetting things already. And, and sometimes as we age, we forget things. Prime example right there. But usually when, when something, when a topic is top of mind, like it's the first thing, you know, that, that comes to, to mind. And, and that can be important. Sometimes it's important when coaches are rattling off the order of things. Right. They start with top of mind or most important first, and then they kind of get on the list. And I thought it was interesting. He talked about Rashad White being a natural you know, guy to everything, a fantastic talent. But he spent a lot of time talking about Keyshawn Vaughn. And, and Josh, you were there in Tennessee with me when Keyshawn Vaughn really kind of got some carries in the third quarter of that game and really showed out. And granted, he's from, from Vanderbilt, so you know he's doing it for the hometown team. But he talks about Trey Palmer as the first receiver he mentioned. Now, we talked about Evans and Godwins to take them out of the equation. But Trey Palmer first, Rakeem Jarrett second, Devin Tompkins third, Kalen Geiger, you know, fourth. Um, it, it was interesting to hear him talk about that when he got to the tight ends. The first two guys he mentioned were Payne Durham and Tanner Taula, massive trees with twitch at the top and can separate. What, what did you guys take away from as he's going down the list of those offensive guys? Well, for me, I, you know, I love when you get these reports from coaches and it matches the tape that the players already put out there. So the one that jumped out at me, the two that jumped out at me was uh, Rashad White. Yep. You know, you asked for sleepers and he was so effusive in his praise, starting with Rashad White. Um, it tells you what this coaching staff really thinks of, of White and with some talented running backs still out on, on the market. The Bucks have, as far as we've heard, shown no interest in going right. out and getting a Dalvin Cook, even though this coaching staff is definitely playing for the division title, and Dalvin Cook could probably help with that. But they're so enamored with Rashad White as their lead back that they feel comfortable moving in with him. 
The other one that just jumped off the page for me was Rakeem Jarrett, who was an undrafted yeah. free agent. I had a draftable grade on Rakeem Jarrett, but you know, the notes I had, I talked about, you know, he, the acceleration he had, and then he was a creator with the ball in his hands. Yeah. And that was like the first thing Dave Canales said about him is yeah. when he gets the ball in his hands, his yards after catch ability, the ability to to do stuff with the ball in his hands. Yeah. I, for me, scouting players, when you see that, when you see a coach talking about the things that you saw on tape, it shows that this is a repeatable talent or repeatable skill. And that bodes well for that player's future. So I would say look out for I I definitely think Rakeem Jarrett has a great shot at making this 53-man roster and being uh, getting a, a hat on game days. Yeah, what stood out to me really is, yeah, first talking about the wide receivers, just, you know, some of the guys that maybe like Bucks fans aren't as crazy familiar with, for example, uh, Rakeem Jarrett. And I think it just showed Canales' trust in, you know, these undrafted free agent guys are younger players that haven't had a huge role on this team with the exception of like Devin Tompkins last year as a kick returner. Just the trust and belief that if these guys have to play, I don't want to say major minutes, but more minutes than typical, that he at least believes in them probably right. than, you know, other coaches around there, even around the league, not just uh, on Tampa Bay staff. So, yeah, the praise for the undrafted free agent wide receivers was up there. Uh, I, I thought it was very interesting what he said about the tight ends, too, because, and Scott, you were there, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the tight ends didn't really do a ton in the passing right. game. And I think a lot of it was just because they're working on so many different things. They want to get the ball into the, the hands of the receivers. So for the tight ends that didn't make, let's just say, a crazy impact for mandatory minicamp, while I don't find it necessarily concerning, for yeah. him to heap such the praise for Payne Durham and, uh, right. and Tanner Talla. Now, Talla was a guy that um, popped up a lot, partially yeah. because he's wearing 84, and it's <laughs> right. like, oh, it's like Cam, Cam Brate. Right. Cam, it's not Cam Brate. <laughs> right. But he was involved in a number of plays. Some good, made very nice touchdown catch, had some bad plays as well. But he was just a guy that stood out and was noticeable. And for, again, a litany of players that Dave could have mentioned, he yeah. mentioned number 84, the new tight end on, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that really stood out to me for sure. Yeah, well, and and you're right, and he he was one of the the guys I just put in the chat my SR Fab Five from Friday, where I list a sleeper at every position for the Buccaneers, and Tanner Tallow was that guy, that undrafted free agent. We know that Kate Otten is is going to be the starter at least to start the season. We'll see how Payne Durham develops the rookie. Coke uh, probably be that number three tight end. Durham is is uh, is the, the fifth round pick for the Buccaneers, but then Tallow has got a really good shot at being tight end number four and just got open. He got open more than anybody else mm -hmm. in the OTAs. I mean, camp will see if that translates once the pads come on in training camp. That's Tala there. If you want to see more or hear more of Payne Durham, well, we're going to do that on Thursday night. That's right. We have another Buccaneer. Uh, we've got Payne Durham, who's going to be on the show on Thursday. That's Thursday night at 7 p.m. So we've had a ton of offensive guys. I'm just about sick. I got to find some defensive guys to come on to balance this out <laughs> being a defensive guy. We've got another Buccaneer player on offense. It's it's Payne Durham, the Bucks rookie tight end. Thursday night at 7 p.m. And while I'm doing the plug, I might as well just plug tomorrow's show too at 4 p.m. We're going to get into PFF uh, rankings. And uh, that's the offense tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Here on Pewter Report TV, make sure you mention um, or make sure that you subscribe to Pewter Report TV 
That is our YouTube channel. And then on Wednesday show, that's right on Wednesday, we go to 7 p.m. primetime. And we'll have the defensive player rankings from PFF. So that's the next two shows. Then again on Thursday, Payne Durham, Bucks tight end, the rookie. We'll get his thoughts on Dave Canales and catching passes from Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Yeah, so very exciting stuff. Definitely got a um, definitely got a lot of different opinions about the Bucks offense, whether it's the offensive coordinator himself. I mean, obviously getting rookies' opinions, whether it was Cody Malk from uh, a couple of weeks ago when he had him on the show, Rashad White as well, and now Payne Durham um, and Luke Gedeke, of course, too. So uh, just keeping rolling with all the players yeah. out there. Josh, Matt, any final thoughts in the last minute we have here on on Dave Canales' uh, last lasting impressions? Josh, the floor is yours. I I tend to try and temper expectations, and I'm finding it very hard to do so with Canales. Um, Obviously, we haven't seen him actually call a game script yet. We haven't seen him actually be able to make adjustments other than where in his house he was able to find Wi-Fi for the podcast. Um, (laughs) But everything that we have had the opportunity to observe him do He's hit every one of the expectations I would have for a high-end offensive coordinator. I think that bodes well. Great that doesn't include Yeah, absolutely amazing communicator. It does not include one of the most important parts of his job, which is obviously the play calling. So yeah. I think for Bucks fans, the preseason games are going to be must-see TV yeah. because you're going to get an opportunity to start to see what he can do in that role. But so far, extremely impressed. Yeah, yeah. I, real quick, I'll just say, just high energy guy. I mean, we yeah. saw what what he does in practice, but he exudes that in you know answering questions as well. And even though he's never called a play before, we kind of touched on this earlier. It just feels like he's already been an offensive coordinator for a very yeah. long time, and that just speaks to the type of you know person that he is and what he's going to bring here. So, if you want more stuff about Dave Canals and just Bucks things in general, please follow us on all of our social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pewter Report, and, of course, our YouTube channel, Pewter Report TV. We have tons of different uh, videos, clips, everything like that, including the podcast to watch. So uh, please like and subscribe to this YouTube channel. We'd really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, appreciate everyone's support of watching this show. Yeah, I would just say my my final takeaway is is the two words he mentioned were energy and fun. And and football is a a kid's game. I coached. Pop Warner, right? Um, there's not a whole bunch of difference outside of better athletes, older people making more money in its job rather than than a rec- recreational activity. Um, but you, you got to have energy and you have to have fun because at the end of the day, this is a kid's game. And and uh, and and if you remember that and you play with the energy and the fun, um, you're you're going to be better at what you do. And and I think he brings that and he instills that. Uh, with with the practices, with yeah. his installs, w- with this scheme, it's a fun offense to watch. We we had a lot of fun watching it, and we've only started to scratch the surface, Matt, in uh, in the OTAs and the minicamp. With that question, very well said, and a good message that uh, everyone should relay. So that's going to do it for us on today's show. For Scott Reynolds, for Josh Capo, I'm Matt Matera saying thank you everybody for watching. We love the Pewter people, and we will see you tomorrow for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast out out out